Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain. Each episode, we bring together leaders across the supply chain space to discuss the role of technology and business model innovation on the future of supply chain. The Future of Supply Chain podcast is presented by Dynamo. Dynamo is a pre-seed and seed stage supply chain investor. To learn more about Dynamo and this show, head over to www.dynamo.vc podcasts or subscribe on the platform of your choice. Now let's get into the show. Here's our host, Santosh Sankar. Hey folks, welcome back to the Future Supply Chain Podcast. I'm your host, Santosh Sankar. And joining me today, all the way from HQ in London, is Nisarg Mehta, co-founder, CTO of Raft AI. Nisarg, it's great to have you on. It's nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So I'm not sure if you know, but at Dynamo, you're considered to be the resident LLM expert. And flattered. And with that, for our audience here, uh, I'd love to just open up with what's the Nisarg and Raft AI story? How did you get get to being here? So, in very brief, my personal story is: I was born in Mumbai. I grew up in 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 Mumbai. Did my school there, and then came to London to the UK to study. I was at the University of Cambridge. And did a lot of academic work with uh, with machine learning. I worked on self-driving cars in the computer vision lab in Cambridge. When that was the cool thing to do back in the day. I also worked with Microsoft Research a little bit on deep reinforcement learning. And I wanted to take some of that and make that real, bring that to the real world with you know real people and real problems with industries that are not necessarily like the best served with technology. And that's the inception of Raft. And that's when I met James and the journey began. The early days of which we were very familiar with. Yeah. Um, but the, the Raft story, just for, for listeners, is we're taking some of this technology and modern uh, approaches like LLMs and bringing that to freight forwarders in the supply chain so that they can go back to focusing on that human service element. That is what they're meant to do rather than uh, sitting up and doing a bunch of manual low value work. So with that, remind me, when did Raft originally develop and begin using the LLM concept or, or, or the predecessor to what is today known as an LLM? Yeah, the predecessor to the LLM is the transformer architecture. I don't want to get like ridiculously technical, but transformers were a big deal when they came out. They were a new way of doing language-related tasks in the machine learning community. They were like this big step forward in what was possible, and they are really the, the precursor to today's LLMs. Like GPT literally stands for generative pre-trained transformer. So transformers we've been using for a long time. And transformer-related like architectures, we've built some of our own architectures on the back of that kind of backbone and use that to solve some really complex challenges to interpret and understand unstructured data from supply chains and uh, for freight forwarders around the world basically since they came out. So when we knew the transformers were a thing a few years ago, we've been using them since then and just followed the evolution 
and the development of that technology all the way through to, to LLMs. And we focused on really making it useful, not just using it because it exists. And right. There's a lot of technologies that just exist, but how can we take that and meet the users where they are and package it in a way that they can use it and work with it, which is why we've been able to do it successfully. Mm -hmm. So call it 2018-19 is, is when you originally started using the transformer. And give us a sense as to how the Raft product now is leveraging mm -hmm. the transformer to deliver customer value. To your point, we don't want to get too in the weeds on the technicalities of it, but where are you seeing this actually deliver value for what you're doing today? So supply chains in general, as you know, are filled with a lot of complex unstructured data, whether it's in documents, invoices, packing lists, bills of lading, or it's in emails, which is just how people communicate in supply chains. Where is this shipment? Can you give me an update on this? Uh, or it's in a spreadsheet. And the spreadsheet has a list of like all your shipments or all your invoices that still need to be interpreted and understood. Supply chains and especially like freight forwarders are, are filled with that everywhere. Um, a large part of where we've used transformers so far, as well as LMs, not just transformers, is taking some of these very complex unstructured sources of data that are used within supply chains and make them tangible and digible for people to then use for downstream processes. No one just wants to get this data for the sake of getting it. That is a business reason. So we take that, we, we use this technology, transformers, LLMs, other models as well, and package them all into a platform that makes that data useful for the actual business process with the users that need to do it and allow them the governance and control around how it gets used how it gets interpreted. Um, so it's not just a, a black box, which is, which is risky, as, as everyone knows with, yeah. with these models. Um, and some concrete use cases are customs, very long invoices that need to be typed up and a complex compliance process that comes on the back of that, finance and accounts payable invoices, statements, um, rates, all of these like complex sort of uh, current like manual heavy use cases are specific areas where we're using some of these technologies wrapped up into a good user experience to, to help our customers. Yeah, I'll chime in there. You use the word manual, right? And when, whenever we think about Raft and, and the customers that Raft serves, who very much are you know, freight forwarders, customs brokerage organizations of that ilk, we always think about what are the key metrics when we invest in those business models we track. And the one core one that we track is gross, gross profit per employee, per head. And the novelty that Raft is now bringing to the market is you're able to actually increase that. You don't necessarily need more revenue or more wins. You can actually insert something like Raft that naturally is elevating that when implemented and, and deployed and, and used. So I, I definitely think we're, we're certainly seeing that across the customer base. Yeah, I, I'll chime in with like another small thought there, which is our, our customers want to scale their businesses 
um, they want to grow their businesses, but they can't without adding operational cost, without adding headcount, which is a bit of a vicious cycle that in order to grow, they have to increase their cost as well. They have to increase the complexity of what they do, or they have to sort of go to their customers with rates that aren't really competitive and lose money on that. And inserting Raft into that allows them to be more profitable per employee, as you said, but also increase capacity per employee and capacity for what someone can do. So why do you think it took till ChatGP3 for people to pay attention to the impact that AI can have, right? To your earlier mm-hmm. statement, you're worked on AVs, there's robotics, you've been using transformers for years, mm-hmm. but like, why all of a sudden all of this attention? So I, I always think of it in the things that capture people's attention are the things that capture something beyond just their day-to-day sort of mundane like tasks. When AI became a thing almost back in 2012, 2013, there was this initial moment where it captured people's attention because it broke the mundane. It could now do something that up until then only humans could do. There was no indication that a system could ever do it. Um, And every time you get this little frenzy or this uh, spike in attention, it's because it breaks that barrier of what is mundane and boring into something that is that is attractive just to witness from a almost as like a spectacle. It's it transcends what what you've just taken to accept as the norm. And ChatGPT three and LLMs they exhibit this very human like quality that anything before these models hasn't really exhibited. You can tell that it's AI. You can tell that it's a system until now. And that's really, I think, what captured people's attention and why there was so much buzz around it was because it transcended the, the realms of, uh, of normal tech. It went to that next level and, and really got people's imagination going. So uh, kind of the way I've reconciled it is in the prior cycles of AI, it's been applied to blue collar work mm-hmm. and mundane manual i call it the dirty dull dangerous right mm-hmm. but i guess now what we're seeing is you can actually implement a similar type of technology in white collar office environments but it takes away kind of summarization data extraction sure. normalization mundane to your point mm-hmm. but it's very high value because we make decisions and operate on the back of these types of ground truths or atomic units yep. existing. For, for sure. For sure. I, I totally agree with that. So you mentioned the word, I think you used the term black box, right? Mm-hmm. How should you know developers, creators of AI-powered products approach observability and transparency of what happens inside of the black box? Yep. And maybe it becomes less of a black box and more of just a box. I think it's super, super important. Um, it, it can't be underestimated um, for getting sort of mass adoption with this. Um, observability and transparency and being able to interact with how these models are working is really what, uh, what sort of brings 
this into the mainstream and allows people to use it for business critical applications, life critical applications. There are really two kind of categories of, of tasks. There's the low risk tasks and then high risk. I'm very, I'll be very general with how I'm talking about these here, but if I'm trying to generate a blog post for my website, that will go towards the low risk end of the category. If I'm trying to do, you know, financial statement reconciliation or something with healthcare, that is very much in the high risk category, the closer to the high risk end of the spectrum you are, the more you need observability and transparency in a like user experience way to get adoption, to allow people to trust it. Otherwise, they just won't. Um, they'll play with it for a, for a day or two. They'll get their sort of fingers bent when you inevitably have a hallucination or incorrect prediction or, or whatever, and then they'll just stop using it unless you give them the tools to mitigate that, be able to audit and you know, add governance around it, interact with it, and, and fix the mistakes that's made quickly. And then they have saved a whole bunch of time and they can trust it. And that's when you get adoption. So I'm going to shift gears here uh, a, a little bit and, and step forward. You have clearly implemented AI transformers, LLMs mm -hmm. in production with very large customers, I might say, yep. in supply chain. Where else might this technology as a general concept be applied? as you step back and think about some of the things customers have told you, things you've observed? Yeah, so in, in supply chains, I like to think of supply chains in like two different lenses journey. So I'll, I'll tell you the lenses through which I look at them first and then where I think this kind of technology could apply. So I think Gartner, if I'm not wrong, it is Gartner, breaks supply chains down into like procurement, planning and execution. And all of supply chain problems fall into one of these three buckets. Another way of looking at supply chains is they really are the movement of three things, the movement of goods, the movement of money, and the movement of information. And these are two lenses through which I look at supply chains. And I think this kind of technology really helps with the movement of information and the movement of, of that information to supplement the procurement planning execution phases of supply chain. I'm not sure I sort of captured that very clearly, but hopefully that makes sense in terms of how yeah. we break supply chains and understand supply chains down at a very high level. And it's really anywhere where information is critical to the, the procurement step of the process, the planning step of the process, or actually executing what needs to get done. So freight forwarders, brokers, 3PLs, um, importers, exporters, wherever they are really dealing with, with data, either generating it, understanding it, interpreting it in any step of the cycle, I think all of those parts of supply chains will be revolutionized with technology like this, whether it's AI more broadly or LLMs, but fundamentally it will come back to how this technology gets packaged and delivered to users and companies that are running real businesses and solving real problems, I think it's, it's going to come down to that. It's not going to come down to how good is the model. It's going to come down to how well can that model be 
delivered and used in any of these sort of steps in the in the supply chain. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I, and I, I might lean into this a, a bit further here, but there's a lot of thinking underway amongst whether you're building product, you're investing, you're using product that like cloud basically has become a given around SaaS that AI features or AI powered features will also just become a normal thing within a SaaS product. And so how should product leaders think about AI within their suite and how do they think about building a product moat versus, you know, being a wrapper over someone else's transformer or capability? Sure. I'll answer them in, in two parts. The first part is just around how do you think of like building a product? And I think the principles remain the same. The principles haven't changed when you think about how can you bring this into a product? It's still a product, still as users, still as buyers, still as champions and and defenders and all the personas that, that you have. Like that stuff doesn't change. So the core principles are exactly the same, and it's important to keep that in mind. But fundamentally, there is now a technological shift, which means you need to look at it from a slightly different lens. Usually, everyone has gone to what is the problem I'm trying to solve and how can I build something to solve it? What I found helpful is to challenge some of the, the, the traditional thinking and say, we have a very powerful technology. What problems did we previously think were unsolvable, whether directly or indirectly, and therefore just discarded, that we can now solve and then go back to applying the same principles that, that always exist. So that reframing of the problem a little bit really should change how you think of building an AI-related product. And then there's a few additional considerations like cost and scalability. Uh, these models are huge. The GPU infrastructure and deploying them at scale yep. is very expensive. So it has, as really cool and sexy as a demo can look uh, on the back of this, can you actually make money and a profit from this? Can you recover the cost of deploying and running this? I think it's well publicized how much OpenAI is spending on, on deploying these GPT models and running this every week or month or whatever. And you have to be able to recover that in order to run a, a business and a, and a scalable one. So it, it has to be, it has to keep those core principles in, in mind, but look at it in a slightly different way. And the second part of your question around boats is, I think, really important. You know, you could build a horizontal sort of product, which is sort of what OpenAI and Anthropic and many of these companies have done, which is build the best LLM or LLMs possible at different scales and sizes and context lengths and allow companies that are building vertical solutions to build on top of them. But that well, there will only be so many companies that will build horizontal LLM-based solutions. A lot of the, the value, I think, will come from the vertical applications of this in specific industries or sectors. And that really needs a moat. 
if you just have a wrapper on top of OpenAI or Anthropic or one of these other horizontal sort of models, someone else will inevitably do the same. So you might get right. two, three, four, five customers and someone else will be like, hey, that's cool and do the same exact thing. So it, you, you have to take this and go and meet users where they are, but in a defensible way so that you can really scale rather than just building a, a gimmick. Gimmicks are cool. Like they, they blow people's like minds when you see them, but that you can't build a company on, on gimmicks. You can't build a product on, on gimmicks in a scalable way. And I think this defensibility and moat comes in two or three ways. I'm no expert on this. I think there's a lot of literature that's probably been written. But in my mind, there's two or three important aspects. The first is proprietary data that you might have access to that you can fine-tune these LLMs on for a specific vertical. And the second is, again, very classic deep domain understanding. Understand your users and that sector really well so that you can take this fantastic technology and go meet users where they are in a way that packages it up that they can use it and they don't have to jump through 50 hoops in order to access the wonders of, of what this can kind of provide. So I, I'm going to wrap up here. I, I, have a, I have a couple more things I'd love to touch on. The, the first being, sit in your customer's shoes, right? They're buying, you know, solutions, product that have the promise of using AI. What should they be asking? What should they be considering? How do they ensure that they're getting the most value out of such an investment? Sure. I'll start by first answering what they shouldn't ask. And this is sort of my biggest pet peeve, <laughs> which is what is the accuracy of this model? That is... The question that many customers naturally ask, and I don't blame them, I'd probably ask exactly the same thing if I was looking to buy a, an AI-related product. But I think that is a very misleading question to ask or to index your, your decision-making on, because accuracy is a very complex topic. It seems simple. What is the number? And the higher number is better but how it gets calculated, what data is it calculated on, how does that translate into reality with your data is so much more uh, complex. There's so many more layers to it that it's actually a really bad way to, to judge a product. Going back to some of the other things that I've mentioned, the way in which I'd encourage people to, to think about it, this is what our most successful customers have done, is looked at it from like a holistic end-to-end -end platform or an end-to-end -end kind of process, considering the people, considering their processes, and considering the product. So involving people in the process is really important. And by people, I don't just mean buyers. The people on the ground that are going to use this day in, day out. And investing in them changing their processes because it's a fundamentally new way of working. Implementing a new technology without people and process is basically impossible. So it's, it's something that I think people often overlook to, to some extent. They just pick a shiny tool that has a lot of promise and then forget about the, the people and the process part of it. And then the second part of it is investing in 
in exactly these two like elements. Train people, manage their expectations around what it can and can't do, will and won't do, the fact that processes will change, and then find the right way of measuring impact. Accuracy is like one way people try to measure impact, but it's just a proxy metric. The real metric is, as I said, capacity, as you said, profit per employee. There's a lot of actual business KPIs that people should be trying to measure. And that's how they should think about buying AI-related products. And the final thing that I often tell some of our customers is when they're making an AI adoption strategy, to think really big, to make an ambitious plan, because AI will touch everything that they do at some level or the other. So ignoring the bigger picture and ignoring that big ambitious plan will leave them like behind, behind the eight ball. But to start small, you don't start with applying it everywhere. You do it iteratively, make people comfortable with it, go department by department, branch by branch, whatever that is. But have a big grand plan and keep taking little chunks out of it. Uh, and that's how we've always seen the most successful companies do it. Amazing. Well, with that, my final question to you, is there a question I should have asked on this topic or around this topic that I did not? Yeah, I think there's so much to, to discuss, so much to, to sort of think about. But the biggest one that I sort of think about is, and this is not just something that I have an answer to, it's more an open discussion, which is it's such a fast-moving area right now. There's so much development happening. Where, like, what do you think the next frontier in this world will be? What will the next sort of jump be, not just at a technological level, but at like a mass adoption? People can actually use this level. We've touched on many of the teams from my perspective, but that's, I guess, one of the, the biggest areas that I'd look to, to discuss with people. It's what is kind of next. Yeah, I love that. I love that. With that, Nassar, thank you very much for spending some time with us. I think you've shared a lot of really great things. I, I can certainly see this episode going into the Hall of Fame, if you would. But with that, we look forward to what is next as you and the team continue building out Raft. And hopefully one of our listeners might reach out with what they think is the next thing or on the frontier. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review and tell us what you liked. And be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Until next time.